Amen. Good morning. We are uh, in our Advent series, and uh, we'll continue that this morning, and we're talking about um, joy this morning, joy. Uh, joy is, I think, a, a, a really um, elusive thing. Uh, we are all looking for joy. In fact, I would say that we spend a lot of our, our days and our, our entire life looking for joy. Um, and oftentimes we, we come up short, or maybe we find something that brings us happiness, that brings us joy, and so we think that we have it and then it's gone, right? It's elusive. The thing that we think will give us the most amount of joy doesn't, or maybe it does for a moment, but that moment is fleeting and our joy is gone. The person. Right? Oftentimes we think that joy comes from a, a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or maybe from having children. Certainly all of those are a source of, of joy, but that joy, even in those people, is not everlasting. And so our pursuit for joy continues day after day again and again and again. Christmas, really, and the Advent season is a picture of this truth that I'm talking about, the elusiveness of joy. It's a, it's a, a great picture and a reminder of our broken search. If you think about Christmas, you think about Christmas gifts, we, we, we want gifts, right? I, 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 we, we want gifts, gifts that we think we would love to have, gifts that we think will bring us joy, and maybe they do for a little while, but we get Christmas gifts every year because that joy doesn't last, right? And so we are looking again for a Christmas gift that will, will bring us lasting joy. The new wears off of the gift. The toys break. The toys, whether they're toys for us or toys for our children, um, they, they, they often break. If you have kids, um, you spend a lot of time probably thinking about your kid's Christmas gift and shopping for the Christmas gift that is perfect for your children. You're excited about buying it, ready for them to see it. They unwrap that gift on Christmas, especially when they're little, right? This huge box, they're excited to unwrap it. They unwrap it. They look at it for a, for a few moments. It brings them great joy, and then they're playing with the box and not the toy, right? And then even the box doesn't last for very long, and the joy of playing with the box is gone as well. Consumeristic Christmas, secular Christmas, if you will, will never bring true and lasting joy. But real Christmas, the real Christmas that we're talking about this morning, that is very different. Christmas that leads to lasting joy is here. And that's what we want to talk about, this Christmas that leads to a lasting joy. God has given us that, and, and He has made it known to us. So let's start this morning in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, if you have a, a Bible, you're welcome to join me there. We should have these on the screen as well. This is an Old Testament. It was written 700 years or so before the time of Jesus. It's an Old Testament prophecy, um, and Isaiah is fi filled with these 
prophecies, prophecies calling God's people, um, the nation of Judah, and ultimately all of Israel to repent of sin. That means to turn from their sin and turn back to God, to stop following the false gods of, of other nations, and to return to the one true God, the God of the covenant that they have, to return to that God and to love and follow Him. Isaiah is calling God's people back to himself, and, and he's warning them that if they don't return to him, bad days are ahead for them. The prophet Isaiah, speaking to those people, tells them or foretells of the joy that is to come. So, Uh, Judah and Israel have been separated. Israel has already fallen to other nations. Judah is following them. Isaiah is warning. Isaiah is warning them that, that, that they need to turn back. And if they don't, that they will be like Israel. They will become impoverished. Their enemies will attack them, killing many of their people. Others who aren't killed will be carted off to foreign lands to serve serve as slaves. The few who remained in in Judah would be weak, right? They would be weak. They would be the unwanted. They would be left to fend for themselves. They would have no resources because anything of value would have been taken, everything else destroyed. Isaiah is warning, when these days come, they will be terrible, terrible days. There will be days filled with great loss and great mourning. But in the midst of those warnings, Isaiah is telling, God through Isaiah is telling his people that that he will not leave them. He's warning there will be dark days and there will be terrible things to, to come if you don't repent and return to me. But I want you to know God is saying that I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I am not finished in every promise that I've ever made. I will fulfill. In fact, he begins to tell them, we see it several times in the book of Isaiah, that he is sending someone. God is sending someone. Someone who, who, who will make it all better. So Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now as I read this and we talk about it, think about that context for Judah, Judah being destroyed, foreign nations overtaking them, the darkness that would have been in Judah. Everyone, everyone in Judah and all of Israel would have been left poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Think about that in terms of those cities being destroyed, the the crops being destroyed, the livestock being taken, people being killed or either or, or, or either carted off to serve in foreign nations. They've lost their homes, they've lost their cities, they've lost their loved ones. So imagine the darkness for them and this message coming. From Isaiah. Some of you, some of you can imagine it. You, you, you can imagine the darkness and the despair that comes with loss because some of you have experienced loss in your life. Some of you have experienced much loss. 
Isaiah tells the people it will be bad for a while and the darkness will be great, but one is coming. One is coming. And for those who are poor, Isaiah is telling them, for those who are poor, for those who are brokenhearted, for those who have lost much, there is good news. He is coming and he will bring healing. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We haven't been taken captive by foreign nations, but the truth is, the truth is there are things that hold us captive as well. Many of us are held captive and imprisoned by, by sickness, by addictions, addictions in our life, by fears. Some poverty, others just sin in your life. He has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint heart, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. In verse 3, Isaiah mentions several things that are related to mourning, and this is what the people were doing. They would be mourning, mourning in sadness. Mourning meant wearing sackcloth. You, you, you dressed up in sackcloth as a show to, to everyone around you, the deep despair that you were in. You, you covered your face and, and head with, with ashes. Again, a sign of the deep despair and the darkness that you found yourself in. He is coming, Isaiah says. He is coming. Though now you mourn, though now you wear sackcloth, though now you cover yourself in ashes, he will come. And when he comes, he will give you a beautiful headdress, a sign of joy and happiness. And and he will replace your ashes, the ashes of mourning with the oil of gladness. He is coming, Isaiah says. He is coming and he will turn all of your crying into praise. See, here's the truth. For many of us, Christmas is a sad time. If that's you, I I want you to know it's okay. Like, you you don't have to be, you don't have to pretend to be happy because it's Christmas. I, I do want you to find the place of your true joy, but, but it's understandable that Christmas is often a sad time. We, we see pictures, and especially with, with television and with social media, we see pictures and images of the perfect family, right? Of the perfect person who has the perfect life. And Christmas is a time of celebrating with, with, with all of the friends that you have. Life is perfect with all of your friends. Life is perfect with your family. And that's not the reality of the world that we live in. For, for many, for many. Christmas reminds us of our, our loss, our lacking, our, our brokenness, the brokenness of our family. Maybe we have lost people who were close to us, people that we loved very much. And like the Israelites, we find ourselves in mourning. 
Verse 4 says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, uh, the, the, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast when he comes. What Isaiah is saying is simply this. When he comes, when the promised one comes, and he will come, there will be a reversal of your fortunes. He will will come and he will restore everything that you have lost. All that has been torn down, when he comes, all that has been torn down will be rebuilt. And God's people will once more, once again, take the place that he intended for them. Verse 7 says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. And look at this last line with me. They shall have what? Everlasting joy. When he comes, when he comes and he fixes all of the brokenness, when he comes and he restores all that has been lost, when he comes, you will have everlasting, everlasting forever joy. Judah would would fall, just as Isaiah prophesied. Judah would fall. They would follow Israel, and everything that had already happened to Israel would happen to them. The entire nation would fall into ruin. Centuries would pass. Centuries would pass in this darkness. Centuries would pass, and they would not see a return of the glory of God. But in that darkness and in that despair and in that loss, the faithful held on to those promises from God. He is coming. He he is coming. God has not forgotten his people. He is going to send us a redeemer. He will send a redeemer. He will send a rescuer. God has not forgotten us. We will be free from our bondage, free from our captivity. We will be free from from the shame of not following him. And our mourning, all of our mourning will be changed to great, great joy. A joy, a joy, Isaiah says, a joy God promises that does not end. Everlasting forever joy. That's what the prophet Isaiah says foretold. And the people, the faithful, they passed those promises on generation after generation. The faithful looking for him to come. They prayed. They prayed that he would come. In their despair and darkness, they they waited for him to come, holding on to those promises. They waited for him to come. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. Again, 700 years or more, they waited in darkness for the promised one. 
in Luke 2, in Luke 2, right, we, we, we are so familiar with the Christmas story. If we've been around the church for very long at all, we are familiar with the Christmas story. This, this darkness is, is really the, the, the context for the coming of Jesus. In Luke 2, we read about the birth of Jesus. And, and, and after Jesus was born, we read about a visit from the angels and, and the joy that Isaiah had foretold these angels now proclaim. The angels are proclaiming the joy that the prophet foretold. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. To, to the shepherds who were, who were in the fields with their, with their sheep that night, God sent messengers to, to proclaim the coming of Jesus, the promised one. I think what the angel said is incredibly interesting here. I bring you good news. Good news of what? I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. This, this is no, no accident. This, this proclamation of all the things that the angels could have said, I bring you good news of great joy is what they said. This was an intentional proclamation. This was the angels proclaiming the, the very fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In the darkness, in the depths of despair, they are proclaiming joy has come. Finally, the joy that was promised, the joy that you have waited 700 plus years for, it has come, just as he promised. If we, if we fast forward, a, a, a bit of time passes and we come to another piece of this great story in Matthew chapter 2. This is the story of the wise men. Right? The, 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 prophet, the prophet foretold of the coming of joy. The angels proclaim joy has come. The wise men receive that joy. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we'll stop right there for just a moment after Jesus is born, maybe as long as two years after the birth of Jesus. Wise men come from the east and they are looking for Jesus. This strange star had appeared in the, in the heavens and they had taken it as a sign from God that the king 
promised Israel had come. The king promised to Israel, the king of the line of of David that we have talked about, the king of righteousness whose throne would last forever as God had promised, the king who would establish Israel and rule with great authority. The promised one had finally come. They saw the star and they knew that he was there. Herod was the ruler, and and Herod did not want to give up his throne, and he saw even the birth of this baby as a threat, so he wanted to find and destroy the child. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So much in those verses that we could talk about. The gifts that were brought, um, beautiful gifts, how they worshiped this, this child, Jesus, who had been born in a stable. But what I want you to notice is particularly verse 10. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's how we translate it. In in the original language, this is what I love about this sentence that you would, would never know, but in the original language, this is one of the most emphatic, emphatic statements in all of Scripture. Now, imagine that. In all of the Bible, this is one of the most emphatic statements. The English doesn't come close to what the original language was communicating. What it really says is, they rejoiced with joy, mega exceedingly. Like there there, there aren't words to talk about the joy that they had. And the joy that they had, it wasn't focused on the star as amazing as the star was. It was the one that the star was pointing to. The wise men had traveled far and faced many dangers. And finally, they, they, they reached him. Finally, as the star pointed the way, they found the one. And they recognized that he was the fulfillment of all of Isaiah's promises, all of the prophecies from Isaiah. This was the promised one. Seeing him, they were were overcome. They They were overwhelmed, exploding with joy. That's the picture that we have, the the exceeding joy that they had. And when they see him, they fall down and they begin to worship him. And they, they give them these incredible, incredible gifts. Not because they owe him, but because they are filled to overflowing with joy. Remember that promise in Isaiah? They shall have an everlasting joy. The prophet Isaiah foretold of that joy. The angels proclaimed that joy has come. The wise men receive that joy when they see, when they see the star, but even more when they see Jesus himself. 
And here's a beautiful thing for us is that joy is a gift to us. Jesus gives us joy. Jesus, in John chapter 15, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry and would soon face the cross. And this is some of Jesus, John 15, some of his final teaching to his disciples. And I want to read some of these verses beginning in verse 1. Jesus said to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full, full to capacity, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what this word really means, that, that the joy that is in you w- would, would fill you, that you would be filled to capacity with joy, like the, the most joy that you could possibly have if you abide in me. And I abide in you, Jesus said, I will fill you. This is the joy that I want to give to you. Jesus doesn't just offer that to those first disciples. He offers it to us, to every disciple who abides in him. Just just as the prophets had foretold, just as Isaiah had foretold, just as those angels proclaimed to the shepherds, just as the wise men received when they saw him, Jesus offers you and me that same joy, the fullness of joy he offers us. It is ours when we abide in him, when we are found in him, and there we remain. Jesus is the center of joy. Do you hear me? Jesus is the center of joy, not not your spouse, not your boyfriend. Not your children, not Christmas gifts, not, not, not this building. Jesus. Jesus is the center of that joy. In fact, he's not, he's not only the, the, the center for, for joy, he, he is ultimately the, the only place that true and lasting joy can be found. Everything else is fleeting. 
The joy of money, it, it, it does not last. It never lasts. The, the, the joy of money never fulfills long term. The joy of material things, very short-lived, right? The, the new car isn't new for long. The new car smell goes. The, the house that we thought would bring us great joy, everlasting joy, it needs cleaning and it needs repairs and it needs maintenance and it needs a new roof. And the clothes that we thought would bring us great and lasting joy, they never do. They tear, they break. We wash them because they're dirty and their colors fade. Drugs, drugs and alcohol, they never really satisfy. The truth is they, they, never, they never fill the hole deep in our soul that longs for the fullness of joy that Jesus offers us. People, people, listen, you guys are a joy. But I know that you will fail. We all do. I will fail. Again and again and again, I will fail. I will never be the pastor that brings you great and lasting joy. No person other than the person of Jesus can do that. Christmas presents, they fail, right? They fail. They'll never, never give us everlasting joy. No matter how great the, the, the gift is, it will never give us everlasting joy. If it did, we wouldn't need Christmas presents this year. We, we wouldn't have a list of wants, would we? Because we would still be filled with the, the joy of Christmas gifts past. But Jesus... Jesus, that's who we are talking about. He is faithful and he is true. He is unwavering. He is sure and he is strong. Jesus loves you with, with, with a love unstoppable and a love that is absolutely unconditional. Jesus leads you and Jesus protects you and he intercedes even now. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Because he loves you. Jesus is the one who will fix all that is broken. And all that is broken in you. And all that is broken in your life. Jesus is the one who when he returns, he will wipe away every tear. Jesus. Jesus is the one who will mend every hurt. In him, the poor are made wealthy. The brokenhearted are healed. In him, the captives and the prisoners are freed. In him, the mourning, the mourning find comfort. Their ashes are wiped clean. The sackcloth, their sackcloth is replaced with a beautiful, a beautiful wedding garment. That's what the headdress is, a beautiful wedding garment. Their, their crying is turned into praise. In him. In him, there, there, there is no shame. Shame is replaced with honor. There's no, no shame. There's no guilt in him. Our guilt is wiped away, taken away forever in Christ. No shame, no guilt. There is no condemnation in Christ. In him, there is everlasting joy. Y'all, that is the truth of Christmas. 
the joy that we were created for, the joy that was lost in the garden when sin entered into the world, that joy is found in one place and one place only, Jesus. Christmas is God fulfilling His promises to fix what has been broken and restore all that was lost there in the garden, all in the gift of Jesus. So how do we experience that joy? It's promised to you. It's promised to me. It is here in Jesus. How, how do we experience that? Uh, unbeliever, we'll start there. If you're here this morning as an unbeliever, I'm glad that you're here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you're here and you, you, you get to hear this and I get to tell you about the joy that there is in Jesus no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how dark the world around you seems, there is joy in Jesus. John 15, 1 says that you should be in Christ. And when we are in Christ and we abide in Christ, that is where our joy is found. How can you be in Christ? Believe the gospel. Believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be righteous enough. You cannot be holy enough. Jesus has done that for you. Jesus lived the life that you could not live. Jesus died the death that we all deserve. On the cross, he bore our sin. On the cross, he bore our shame. On the cross, he bore the very wrath of God that we deserve because of sin. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And on the third day, he was raised, defeating death and sin and Satan death and sin and Satan. He defeated for himself, and he defeated for every one of us. And in him means that we believe the gospel. When we believe the good news that he has done what we could never do for ourselves, then we find ourselves in him. In him. His righteousness granted to us as though we were righteous. What joy. What joy in knowing that I am restored to the Father, not because of my good works. See, I'm going to tell you, and you know this to be true. Your works, like my works, amount to a pile of filthy rags. That is the truth. Before our, our great and holy God, our best works amount to a pile of filthy rags. We could never be righteous enough. We could never be good enough. We could never be holy enough. And when we, when we strive for that on our own, that does not bring us joy. It brings us disappointment and it brings us despair, knowing that we can never get it right enough. But praise God for the gift of Jesus. In Him... The righteousness of Jesus himself is granted to us through faith as though we were righteous. And when, when God looks at us, when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us and say, what a failure you are, you've messed up again. He says, my child, you are perfect and righteous and beautiful and holy. Because what he sees is Jesus. And the righteousness that Jesus grants to us. So if you are here, unbeliever, 
believe the good news of the gospel and be found in Christ. And there, there let your joy be filled. Now, believer, the same is true for you. Sticking with John 15, Jesus said, I told you these things, he says to his disciples, that you may have my joy and that your joy may be filled and even overflowing. What things did he tell them? Continue to abide in me, Jesus said. Remain in me. I am the source of your joy. I am the place of true and lasting joy. If you leave me, if you stray from me, if you walk away from me, you will find yourself lacking joy. But if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you stay with me, There is the source of true and lasting joy. You you have come to him by faith. Believer, now walk with him in faith. Faithfully follow him. Faithfully obey him. Don't leave him as we are prone to do. Continue to believe the good news that, that he has come. Continue to believe the good news that he will fix all that is broken. Continue to believe the good news that, that, that in his coming and abiding in him, there is your source of joy. Believe. Believe. Believer, believe this good news again and again and and again. Believe the good news of who he is. Believe the good news of what he has done for you. Believe that he will fulfill every promise that remains. New City, he is the gift of Christmas. He is the gift of Christmas and the only gift that lasts. The gift the gift of the joy that we all long for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you for for your love and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that all that we long for, you have provided, and you have provided in Christ. Father, I pray. I pray if there's someone here today who has not believed, that today would be the day that they believe. Today would be the day that they hear the good news of the gospel and say, yes. Yes, I believe. I believe. And Father, for those of us who find ourselves at Christmas brokenhearted and mourning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us again and again and again of the beautiful promises that you have not just given us but fulfilled in the gift of Jesus. Help us to remember and to believe that we might abide in him and that his joy, his joy, would be in us, filling us and overflowing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.